Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. And alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul Gillieri. Here we are. This is episode 93, and we want to welcome you if you're new. I know this week we have some friends from, uh, well... They're probably all over the place, but they they came to us probably from our friends over at State of America podcast. We did a little chat with them, Paul, a couple weeks ago, and that Mm -hmm. episode comes out this week um, talking about the the synergy, the brotherhood that is the Black Crows and Pearl Jam. What what was that like? It was very rewarding. I really enjoyed the discourse. Great, great podcast. Uh, I, I had become a fan. I have not had, I have become a, quite a fan of, of their stuff since. And I have to say, uh, they, they, they do a really nice job of peeling back the layers of the onion, the music that we love to listen to. And I appreciate that because I think we, we endeavor to do the same. We do. And, and I think there's a mutual respect there. And for all of you guys out there who are, fans of southern blues-based rock and roll uh black rose specifically you got to check them out the state of amorica more obviously their third studio album and um a great chat with those guys and we look forward to you uh if you're new welcome this is this is the fucking show man yeah we'd like to have a uh, state of amorica on state of love and trust by the way but we, we we're should. gonna have to coordinate that it'd be the state of the union <laughs> exactly get it because it's union because it combined yeah exactly yeah uh, I'm sorry. I just, when you explain the joke you ruin the joke um <laughs> all right well i've got a um a glass of uh lagavulin 16 year here my friend what do you have in front of you uh i am drinking gordon and mcphail specialty bottling of kalia 13 Ooh, yes indeed fancy boy yeah well here's the thing sometimes there are weeks where not a whole lot's happening and we kind of dip into our bag of tricks and find fun things to talk about and make up lists and that kind Top of Top five beard songs. Yeah. Love a good you know? beard song. <laughs> but this week, this week, my friend, oh, a couple of big pieces of business that we felt we should dive into. Um, and I'm sure most of you out there are very aware of these two pieces of news. It does it first... involve a shadow and a groundhog? Yes. What okay. are your favorite songs to listen to when there's six <laughs> more weeks of winter? No. Everyone outside of the United States is like, what the hell are you talking about? Look up Groundhog's Day. And then go watch the movie, because the movie's better than the day. Oh, Bill Murray. Outstanding. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, let's talk about a different personality today. Yeah. So... um, do you guys know about this band? Um, I'll see if I'm, if I'm saying it correctly. Mot, Motelay Crew? crew? <laughs> Motelay Crew? Mot, Motley Crew. baby. Motley Crew. Motley Crew. That's the band. And um, 
in why would they be in the news this week, Paul? I, I can't imagine. I remember there was a period where Tommy I couldn't get Tommy Lee out of the news, but uh Well I Tommy's suppose, in the news again this week because of yeah, his, I know. that the <laughs> new show on Hulu. <laughs> which I thought it was like a, a some sort of like you know movie, you know, made for TV movie. But then evidently it's got like episodes, so it's like a, mm-hmm. it's like a whole show, like a whole like season, li- and like limited series type deal. Like why? So, so yeah. Nikki Six had, uh, and look, in fairness to Nikki Six, this is a re- this is a retort to something that that was brought to his attention. So let me let me read something to you. Um, Eddie was interviewed by somebody named David Marchese or Marchese Marchese. I'm butchering that. I'm sure. And he was asked, um, Eddie, that was, as he, Eddie was asked by David, do you think any ripples from that Gen X alt culture explosion extended to the present? And Eddie goes, and I quote, you know, I used to work in San Diego loading gear at a club. I'd end up being at shows that I wouldn't have chosen to go to, bands that monopolize late 80s on TV, the metal bands that, I'm trying to be nice, I despised. Girls, 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 and Motley Crue, fuck you. I hated it. I hated how it made the fellas look. I hated how, how it made the woman look. I th- it felt so... Uh, I'm going to mess this word up, Paul. Vacuous? Vacuous. 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 Oh, my God. Vacuous. Guns N' Roses came out, and thank God, at least had some teeth. But I'm circling back to say that one thing that I appreciated was that in Seattle, in the alternative crowd, the girls could wear their combat boots and sweaters and their hair looked like cat powers and not their lock bears. Nothing against her. They weren't selling themselves short. They could have an opinion and be respected. I think that's a change that lasted. It sounds so trite, but before then, it was bustiers. The only person who I who, who wore a bustier in the 90s that I could appreciate was Perry Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, you know, he wasn't a fan of the, uh, the hair metal, of the, uh, the glam rock of the 80s. Um, and, you know, Nikki Six, the founder of Motley Crue, the bass player and the founder and principal songwriter of the band, caught wind of this. He tweeted, made me laugh today reading how much the singer in Pearl Jam hated Motley Crue. Now, considering that they're one of the most boring bands in history, it's kind of a compliment, isn't it? Somebody replied to him saying, like, you know, you suck, blah, 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 blah. And he said, remember... There were zillions of brown-haired bands for brown-haired fans. Go find them. You will know them by the bored look on their face. Paul, I have, a, I have many questions, but the first one is, what the hell is a brown-haired band for a brown-haired face? I don't know, man. I, I had a hard time with that. The, the, the boring piece, like that, that, that's not the first time I've... I've go, read that back for our gentle listeners. Once Wait, which part? The bored part? No, the whole Nikki Six response. Not not Eddie's quote. Just, okay, just, so Nikki Six again made me laugh today reading how much the singer in Pearl Jam hated Motley Crue. Now considering that they're one of the most boring bands in history, it's kind of a compliment, isn't it? Now considering. That's the piece that I find interesting. Now considering. As if to suggest that Pearl Jam has become boring. That they weren't, but they now have become boring. So that begs the question. If, how do I say this? Uh, if, if, we, if we try to extract the root of this discourse, and, and that's the wrong word because it's not really a conversation we're having with each no. other. If we try to extract the root of what it is that both Eddie and Nikki Six take umbrage with, it sounds to me like it is a reaction to a 
seen that is essentially like endemic or systemic or, 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 or a byproduct, I guess, of a sound. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the scene that the, the sound that, that begets the scene. Okay. So the scene that Nikki six seems to hold in high esteem is this glamorous, uh, unhinged, just, you know, debaucherous, you know, <laughs> Uh, th- th- this idea that you know w- w- what Led Zeppelin started, it was their it was their torch to carry on, right? Um, whereas Eddie, I think, and Pearl Jam and a lot of bands from the the, the Seattle scene, they felt like they needed to lend a voice to a different kind of feeling, mm-hmm. and that 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 tapping into that angst that frustration that that desire to be heard to communicate to express is what ultimately allowed that music to to transcend to levels that exceed far beyond anything that i would argue many of the 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 glam rock and the hair metal bands were able to achieve at the time now guns and roses i think to, to a degree, tried to do some things that expanded beyond that as well. I mean, th- there's a lot of Guns N' Roses music that I think continues to stand the test of time. We're not here to talk about Guns N' Roses. So Motley Crue. Motley Crue is an outstanding example, a timeless example of, of that particular niche of rock, or, or I shouldn't call it a niche. At one point in time, it was rock, right? That was mm-hmm. all there was. But <clears throat> I think eventually rock needed to evolve. Uh, and, and just as it evolved from what it had been, which I think was was very much grounded in substance into what became the hair metal era, the glam, the glam rock era. So he, he seems to feel as though what they were doing had some great, I don't want to call it meaning, but that he's adding a, a, a level of gravity and weight to their contributions that I, I, I don't necessarily know if I share, and that's no disrespect to Motley Crue and, and their place in music history. But I think if you go to a Pearl Jam show, and, and here, let, me, let me do you a favor. Go to Pearl Jam's Twitter page. Jason, actually, if you just <laughs> shared this with me before we went on the air, there's a great live clip of the band playing Given a Fly, and you can just see the crowd's reaction. There is the level of communion happening at a live Pearl Jam show and this massive sea of fans all just arms exalted singing and sharing in something that is so much greater than any one of us. I, I, I don't recall seeing that at a Motley Crue show. I mean, I'm not even sure if Dr. Feelgood could prescribe this for the fans. So I don't know, man. I, 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 uh, I think it's easy to, to look at a band that, that tried to evolve and mature and, 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 and say, oh, well, they're boring. And I, I have friends that feel like when Eddie started talking a lot, when he started voicing his opinions on politics and you know society and different types of issues, and the band joined in, that's when they just felt like it was time to move on. You know, Pearl Jam no longer was Pearl Jam anymore. They were just a well, that's talking heads. pretty funny considering that Eddie's been uh opening his mouth and talking about what he wanted to talk about since kind of day one exactly getting political probably late 93 
Right, so exactly. So I, I, of... I think it, <laughs> I think for a lot of folks, it, it wasn't until the Ticketmaster thing. I mean, but if you think about what happened at MTV Unplugged, you know, with 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 writing Pro Choice on the arm and doing the handstands, I mean, this stuff's been happening since the band's inception, man. It's so I'm I'm at a loss for this idea that they're that they're look. <laughs> maybe I'm not at a loss. Maybe it's fair. That if, if you are Nikki Six, you would absolutely find everything that Pearl Jam does boring. So, <laughs> and, and, and conversely, the flip side of it is, I think if you are already, you can very easily see uh, how a lot of what Molly Crew and bands of that era were doing is very vacuous. It, it, it sounds to me like it's just... <laughs> I want to say one thing off the top, and that's that I obviously love Pearl Jam, but I enjoy Motley Crue's music. Yeah, it's Pretty, fun. It's it's fun. It's fine. It's a good rocking time. It's and I tweeted this earlier today on, on our Twitter account. It's um, you know, it, it's a good superficial kind of time. They but don't keep really in mind, man. Deep. You and I can just enjoy that. We weren't trying to break into the music industry, and and that was the wave we had to surf over. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, that's fair too. So I you know I look at a song like Home Sweet Home. That was their attempt at getting a little bit deeper. But for the most part, it's it's songs that you can rock out and have a good time to. And there's nothing wrong with that. But to turn around and then say Pearl Jam is boring because they went from really aggressive rock and roll on the first couple of albums and started to evolve their sound into, let's just, for the lack of a better term, more mature territory. Sure, that might be boring to you, but here's something else. If you stay the same, if you if you keep pumping out the same kind of music, regardless of what it is, that can also be boring by context. Oh, yeah. I like the band <laughs> Slayer, for example. I'm a Slayer fan. I think their shit's fucking great. But here's the problem is I can go back to South of Heaven or I can go to Diabolista Musica or any of the last couple albums, and it's all kind of really similar. So I can listen to enough Slayer before I'm like, okay, I'm not on board because it's all kind of the same thing. The same thing holds true for many bands. I, I think you can go through a ton of different bands and be like, you know, they they do something really well and they kind of stick to it. And after a little while, you get bored of it. Dave Matthews yeah. got a great example. I think they're super talented. I, I enjoy a ton of Dave Matthews. But after like a half an hour, I'm like, all right, that's enough of that. Yeah. And I can get uh, yeah. how people... Might There's say the expression, the right? Stasis is death. Yeah, yeah. So to me, it's so silly um, because Eddie's coming at it, coming at music as an art form to be to 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 affect change, to make people feel something um, deeper um, than what he saw in the '80s. He didn't see women being treated correctly, and that's something that they've obviously kept up for the last thirty years. Um, I, I you know Nikki didn't really respond to that part of it, which if, isn't surprising considering how superficial so much of the music was. He didn't consider to respond to that thing that Eddie said, which is telling. But everything has a place. Everything has a place, and I see what Nikki's saying about Pearl Jam. I I disagree, and I see what Eddie's saying about Motley Crue, and I partially disagree. In that I, I enjoy the music for what it is, but I see what he's saying when he says it's vacuous. I said all right this time, and it made the fellows and the women look bad because it, did, you, did you watch the dirt or did you even read the book The Dirt? 
The Dirt? Yes. By Motley, the Motley Crue thing? I saw yeah. the... Uh, what the was Netflix it? thing? The, 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 yeah, the Netflix film. Netflix, Netflix film was terrible, but it did... A, I mean, it was a really a brief version of what the book... The book was incredibly interesting to, to see what was what that world was all about. I mean, I was four, five, six, seven, eight years old at the time, so I didn't know what the hell was going on. But to see what was all about, what that whole time was all yeah. about was very interesting. But, man, like... Yeah, it, it it doesn't hold the test of time. Anything in Pearl Jam's catalog holds the test of time. Yeah. And that for me is the difference. For sure. I do wonder, could Eddie have made the same point without having to name the bands? I mean, he made a comment a couple of years ago where he talked about you know pop music these days. There just seems to be a high fructose content of mm-hmm. a lot of the, you know the chart-topping hits that we hear these days. He didn't name anybody, though. He named Good so Charlotte I, back in 2003. Ooh, fair some, enough. But, I, <laughs> but part of me also wonders <laughs> if a lot of the, the musical artists that the producer that Pearl Jam is essentially working with on uh. their next album was part of the production of a lot of the music that he thought was essentially a lot of high-fructose content. So I, I, I think that we're only scratching the surface of this conversation and uh, we're going to have to continue to dig as, uh, as, as we see the effect of that collaboration on Pearl Jam Sound. But for now, I stand with you in the, uh, uh, along the lines of the fact that I think it's fair to disagree with Eddie and say, hey, man, like you, you didn't need to name those bands. Like that, that stuff was fun. It was, it was a part of its time. Uh, but at the same time, agree and say it, it was for all you know, intents and purposes, pretty vacuous. Uh, and the flip side being, hey, you know, rock and roll is about, you know, just intensity and and fun and kicking out the jams, brothers and sisters. And rock and, if, rock know, and roll is a statement. Yeah, rock and roll is about making it. a statement and moving your ass a little bit, and and affecting change where you can or enjoying yourself. It's it's about a lot of things. It's about life. I mean, in most yeah. music, you could you could argue that, and um. I just find it silly that somebody who I ordinarily enjoy, like Nikki Six, uh, writing some really cool songs like "Doctor Feel Good" and "Kickstart My Heart," and I mean I, "Home Sweet Home." I mentioned. I mean, there's there's a lot of fun music, sure, but um, it, it's it's fair for the listener to say, "I like it for this, but not for that." And I like. Pearl Jam for this and not for that or for other things, but like why? Yeah, it just it's it, it's a silly it's a silly thing. Uh, I, I'm curious what you guys. <laughs> we we didn't tread too far into this, but I'm curious what you guys think about about this whole riff and if it will even go anywhere. And you brought up a great point, bringing in Andrew Watt, who Andrew Watt has done a ton of uh, pop music. He's produced yeah. a lot of pop music, like Dua Lipa and Miley and a lot of the future and. Yeah. So, time is a flat circle. I don't know. How does that, is that how it goes? <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. The next big thing of the last couple of weeks, really. Say it with me now. Three syllables, one word. Spotify. Okay, here we go. So, <laughs> Paul, do you have you listened to Joe Rogan's podcast before? I've heard Joe. No. Have yeah, you, have you I, seen his stand up at all? Uh, a while back. I mean, I haven't. Is he still doing stand up? Yes. Okay. Did you watch news radio or fear no. factor? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a couple episodes of Fear Factor. He was a handyman on, on news radio. Oh, yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, well, for anyone that's living under a rock, uh, big old kerfuffle at the uh, Spotify headquarters in the last couple of weeks because, well, if you don't know, um, Joe's podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, um, by the way, it has 11 million listeners an episode, and he puts out like four or five of them a week. I don't know how he does it. And each episode's like three hours long. Um, there was uh, there, there were some very high uh, high value people, high um, you know, very esteemed people like uh, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, who decided to yank their catalog off of Spotify because they felt that Spotify was empowering Joe to misinform the public. And that is because Joe has had on his podcast um, a number of guests who don't uh, believe the same things that the majority of people believe. That's, that's a very broad and vague way of saying it, right? Most notably are things regarding COVID and the ever-changing landscape of what the hell we know about it. So they pulled their music and there's been some other artists that have started pulling their music and, and Spotify said they, they're going to stick by Joe and Joe put out a nine minute video addressing all this. Um, I'm not going to try and repeat what he said in it because it's nine minutes. Yeah. Um, you've watched it. It's, it's not really an apology per se, but what do you, what do you make of, of his retort to all this? Uh, I don't know. I mean, on one hand, it's it's good to see that there was a commitment to providing disclaimers at the beginnings of these things and making sure that listeners are encouraged to to speak to professionals. In this case, you know, their own certified physicians. I thought it was encouraging that there was a commitment to provide the counter argument to a lot of these strong controversial opinions and try to schedule those the other side of the conversation as soon as possible so that, you know, these views don't linger and it creates the impression that, you know, that view is the view that is held by the show per se. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was encouraging that there was a pledge to do more research in the future as well. So th th those things from the point of, I mean, I'm trying to imagine our us in a situation mm -hmm. like this, like what would we be telling our listeners that we would want to do a better job of, uh, so there was definitely some, um, you know, it was contrite to a degree. That the issue I have with it is this. There did not seem to be a belief or a desire to hold himself accountable. So then the question that I'm sure people are wondering is, well, accountable for what, right? The guy apologized. He made it. Well, I think that, it's one thing to say, hey, if I made you upset, if, you know, if, 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 if I rubbed you the wrong way, I'm sorry. He began his apology by citing the merits of the guests that he had on mm -hmm. and essentially confirming that those views deserve to be shared and that uh, the mistake he made was not providing a platform for the other voices to come in as quickly as possible and, and present that side of the argument, which I, I think is a good and healthy start to productive discourse. That said, I, I think part of the issue here 
is that he didn't really seem very remorseful. There didn't seem to be a belief that when you give a platform to something that you haven't thoroughly researched, and this has happened quite frequently on his show, if I'm being honest, when you, you give a platform to those types of views, while you may feel that it's not inherently changing the way that you see the world or, or negatively affecting your value system, that your moral compass remains intact and unaffected, you really shouldn't be giving the same benefit of the doubt to your listeners. And that's not to suggest that his listeners can't think for themselves. It is to suggest that when you have a platform, you need to take some responsibility for the fact that you have people listening and they're probably not just listening because you're fun. And you know what I mean? I mean, he, he has graduated to a level of, of, of social discourse where a lot of people, quite frankly, get their, their, their political views, their ideals, their ideas from the things that they hear on that podcast. Rightly or wrongly. And this is the same thing with the daily show, by the way, by the way. And yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. The flip side is the same thing with, with the daily show when it was Jon Stewart, uh, you know, now with Trevor Noah and so on and so on. And so I, I'm not, I, you have to be mindful of these different types of things. And I think that in Joe Rogan's case, if, if you're going to have people on your show that maybe support or seem to echo the sentiment that healthy young people don't need to get vaccinated or you're not going to challenge a guest who states that a drug like Evermectin basically will get rid of the virus altogether, right? Or you're going to have somebody on your show that's going to spout off about how uh, the media is using COVID as a means of control. And, and, and make comparisons to the way that Hitler and the Nazi party used their platform to control the masses. These are, these are really strong claims. And if you, can, if you can make logical, reasoned arguments that support those, those ideas, and you can measure them in a way where you're not trying to create hysteria or division, that's one thing. But that's not the sense that I got from listening to those conversations. Um, you know, he gives this apology, but there were a lot of medical professionals who reached out in an open letter and talked about mass misinformation. And he just basically came out and said, Hey, there's lots of different points of view. And I'm just trying to make sure that I give a voice to everybody. Okay, fine. But if I want to go on Joe Rogan's show and I want to talk about how, uh, you know, I don't know, eating dog food will turn you into a rabies infested lunatic which is clearly a bunch of nonsense. And no, I'm not advocating that anyone listening to this eat dog food. <laughs> but, this episode is sponsored by pedigree. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So the, the point is I I'm pretty sure Joe would say th that's ridiculous and I'm not going to provide my platform for you to go on the air and, and spout that nonsense. So I think it's, it's, it's worth doing your research in advance. And maybe that's easier said than done when you have somebody on four or five times a week. You know what I mean? And, and that's, it's two, that's the two thing, to three man. hours long. It, it sounds um, like he's not going through a proper vetting process well, and not really putting in the it. necessary preparation to have the, the conversations to the degree and the depth and breadth that he is. 
And if you're going to do that, you need to start putting some disclaimers out there. Dude, uh, he, but but Jason, there's a response. We don't have 11 million listeners, man. You know no, what I'm don't. saying? I mean, you and I could spout nonsense, which we won't. But even if we did, uh, the, the level of harm that we could do, that we could we could impact society with based on our views and, and the types of things that our guests say is very minimal in comparison. And I think that he needs to be more mindful of the platform that he has and understand that when, when you have that many people listening to you, there's a responsibility to make sure that when you have controversial ideas, especially ideas that affect pe- people's views on their health and, and this, the health and safety of others, it's important that that stuff is properly researched, man. You know, And, and how, how about uh, reaching out to those people and saying, hey, you know what? I had some, some views that were expressed in my podcast that quite frankly might endanger some of you, my listeners. And, and I will, I want to try to correct some of those different types of things. I don't know the, the, the guy I just kind of came across, like feeling like the only thing that he felt he needed to do was apologize for making people angry. And, and I think it goes deeper than that. So I think, I mean, there's, there's a lot here, right? There's on the one hand. And, and by the way, we should let the listener know that we are circling back to Pearl Jam as it relates to this conversation. Yes, we will get there. But we wanna... haven't buried the lead yet, but th- no. this is all connected we, to something. We want to set the table because some of you uh, may have seen the headlines but not really dived into it. And we want to try and establish some context here. Um, I've listened to Joe Rogan a number of times because he'll have a guest on that I'm like, oh, cool. Like, for example, he had uh, James Hetfield on. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple years ago and they talked for like 90 minutes about beekeeping and James loves to beekeep. I'm like, are you fucking crazy? This is awesome. And they were just, they were just diving into like this most crazy tangents. And like, this is the cool thing about Joe is that they'll spend three hours talking to somebody and they'll find these fun, these fun stories and tangents that, that no, nobody else is going to get to because everybody else only gives anybody else will only get like 15, 20 minutes with an artist or with a, with an interviewer, with an interviewee right. or, or an author or whatever the hell, because not enough time to really find that you, you got to hit like the, the headlines, you know, that, that are going to make, make the article. And Joe's able to sit down with people for long periods of time and kind of mine the parts of someone's psyche or, right. or thoughts and feelings that ordinarily aren't touched. That's awesome. Um, the problem with, the frequency at which he puts out episodes and the length of them to your point, And Joe sort of acknowledged this is that he can't and doesn't thoroughly research those who are coming on his show. He wow. said himself that he books his own, his own show. He doesn't have, according to him on his, on his nine minute you know video, he doesn't have some sort of secretary or assistant that helps him book no, people. Which is mind-boggling, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you've got 11 million viewers or listeners. You should be having a team of people that help you research a guest so that when you come in on a Tuesday morning to interview so-and-so, Sanjay Gupta, he mentioned on his thing, uh-huh. you've got a dossier, like you've got like a two-sheet of like what this guy's about, some things that, that you should be talking about, some po- bullet points that talk to that question. Like, have something. And I have to imagine he's got something but it clearly isn't enough and he's it, it sounds like he's more or less going off of the cuff in his own curiosity and to a degree i appreciate that because if i'm asking somebody questions or i'm interviewing somebody who uh maybe i've never had on the show before or there's something really interesting in the news that's happening that they could talk about i'm gonna be very curious and just kind of spitball and just kind of ping pong off of him that's great 
but you've got to have more bullets in the chamber. You can't yeah. just come in blind and to, to kind of ignore that and kind of just skate right over that and say, well, you know, I've got to have somebody on the next week. I've got to do better with my scheduling and I'm okay with the, with the disclaimers. Like that's the least he could do. Right. And I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think Joe's being malicious. I think he's being willfully ignorant of how many people in this country take, take him and others like him at face value as if they're the experts or right. as if the fact that this person's on his show, they must be treated with, with the utmost respect and not with any kind of um, skepticism. Um, and he, like you said, he, he rattled off the credentials and the CV of the, of the two most um, controversial guests that came on as related to COVID. And it's like, you got to <laughs> but, well, like challenge people, man. I mean, like there, there's a clip that went viral of him. He had a guest on and I saw it and it was just so appalling. I couldn't even bother to go any further deeper into this because what I was hearing was, was just, you want to talk about dangerous. This guy was on a show and he, uh, he was essentially saying that there was a gene that made black people more prone to violence. And then the guy started citing Western Europeans and, uh, you know, their, the time that they spent in Africa pre and post slavery. And in my head, I'm thinking, (laughs) and Joe's is saying, Oh, really? Really? Huh? Huh? Really? Really? I mean, something's just going to call out bullshit when you hear it. That's 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 where you just have to say, Hey, Hey hey, man, I got to stop you right there. (laughs) I got 11 million people listening to this right now. Are you are you seriously saying this right now? Do you do, do you hear what you're and what's that, coming? But that's out of your his mouth? problem, Paul. That's his problem. His thing is, unless it's something that he already knows about, like MMA or or mm. supplements or comedy or you know hunting bow with bone arrows. Cool. Like he'll he'll post on his Instagram like some elk meat that he, he did on his trigger grill. I'm like, cool, I'm in. I'm, I'm down for some cool cooking tips. But like, if it's something that he's, that's out of his depth, he doesn't, he doesn't ask questions. He doesn't, he doesn't drill them with the common perspective. He just, he, he sits back and kind of takes it as if the, whoever's sitting across from him, from him deserves unbridled respect and, and no criticism whatsoever. Well, now and, we're and starting just, to get into a debate about what free speech is. Does it, it is free speech, something that should be unconditional well, okay. in the United States and provided every, this is a big so, conversation to unpack in here. And here we go too. Right. So this, and we can, you can have your opinions about Joe and, you can, and his show and his guests and yada, yada, yada. The biggest thing here. Um, and there's one more point after this one I hit before we get to the Pearl Jam portion. And I know this is a long thing, but I think it's important. The free speech thing, the censorship thing, a ton of people are railing against Spotify to kick them off. People are like saying, no, keep them on. You know, as we said at the top, you know, Neil and Joni Mitchell and a bunch of others are, are, are pulling their catalog off to try and influence Spotify to remove Joe. Um, he's actually had 11 episodes actually removed from the platform completely because of, of whatever. The use um, of the N-word. I, I believe. believe it's the, the, the N-word, which he had his own apology about, which I, I take um, for what it is, and that's great. But here's the thing, what I have, here's the problem that I have with people who are talking about censorship. 
we've talked about misinformation and promoting um, or giving people platforms that don't really deserve equal platforms to others in the field, right? Censorship, though, that's a tricky one because Spotify is a private company. Mm -hmm. They can host whoever the hell they want. If they choose to drop somebody off, that's their prerogative. It does not mean that that person, that podcast, that band, that author, that whoever does not have an opportunity to put that content out there another way. There are a million ways to put out content in the 21st century. There is Tumblr. There is Twitter. There is Instagram. There is SoundCloud. There is TikTok. There is Spotify and Apple and Amazon and Google and fucking anything. There are a million different ways to put out content. If Spotify said, Joe, sorry, you got to go. He could go, okay, I'm going to take my 11 million listeners per episode. I'm going to, you know, hire some, some 18 year olds from Silicon Valley and create an app for myself. And I'm going to have everybody give me $5 a month for my app. And I'm going to do it all myself. And he could do that. And he'd be in control of everything. No censorship. His, everything he wants to say is out there. No need to, um, uh, qualify anything. He gets all the money. I mean, obviously the Spotify deal was a hundred million dollars. It's a lot of money, but he could make whatever membership options he wanted to. The, the world's his oyster, right? Censorship really, and the first amendment really is when the government says you can no longer speak. That's the first amendment. That's, that's, that's the problem with censoring. If a private company says, we don't want you here, you've got a million other options to say whatever the hell you want to say. You have the right to say whatever you want to say, but if a private company says, get out, tough nuggets, guys, tough nuggets. That ain't censorship, man. That's just no. a private company doing what they want to do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not advocating for censorship, but I do think Me it's either, important that, that I think Joe Rogan would benefit from an injection of, of some, some, some greater awareness and that I mostly self-awareness of his platform and its impact. And I think, think that there's an opportunity for him if he's going to have guests on they're going to talk about something more than MMA and, and hunting and, and you know beekeeping <laughs> and, and you're <laughs> going to start talking about things that that are really hot button issues a do your research and b more importantly than that you know and, and when I say do your research that there's a lot of conflicting views when it comes to issues so do the research on the various views and present arguments and counter arguments and have a productive conversation as opposed to just giving other people a platform for their views on your show. Because I think when you do that, you do present the opportunity for the spread of dangerous um, discourse that, that ultimately can, can really infiltrate the minds of a lot of listeners, if not quality controlled and checked and vetted in ways that, like I said, create productive discourse. I do not believe that Joe should be uh, only allowing certain views to, to be filtered through his podcast. I'm, I'm not suggesting that at all. I do think, though, if, if you want to have a debate about vaccines, th there, there's a way to have a productive conversation about that. And I, I personally don't think the productive way is to just let one view or another come on and just basically say their piece while you stand unbiased in the background essentially giving the platform to that, just asking questions. I and that's think the key. Yeah. That's the key is, is present the count, whether you believe in the counter arguments or not. That's exactly it. And he will and say, see, 
sorry, he, he will say that he's not a journalist, that, he, that he's simply a comedian and an MMA, um, you know, pundit looking to have a conversation. He keeps saying on, on that nine minute video, I'm just trying to have conversations. Are, when you invite people, but it's uh, like, when you have 11 million listeners yeah, and you're inviting people, there's responsibility. You, you are now a journal. I'm sorry. You became a journalist when you issued an apology, essentially an apologist of an apology where you basically, that's redundant. What am I talking about? When, <laughs> when you issue an apology and you essentially try to cite the qualifications of the guests that you had on. Yeah. I, I, I mean, at that point in time, I mean, what what are you? Are you just? Are, you can't are, play are you, both sides of the coin. You can't. What do we do need it. you for? It sounds like you're just inviting yeah. people. I mean, it sounds like you are trying to. You are you are literally giving. You're willfully giving a, a blank canvas, open mic, with no scrutiny to anybody who wants to come on the show. And to in to a degree, I respect that you are doing that because you're allowing anybody to come up and say their piece. But the problem is. You have to set guardrails. And even if you don't agree with the opposite point of view, you have to bring it up to show that you acknowledge the fact that there is there are challenges what somebody is saying. Right. Now, Joe's point is, hey, people were saying X, Y, and Z. And if you had said that six months ago, you would have been canceled or you would have been roasted on social media. But now it's regarded as, as fact. So it, basically, like his point was the goalposts keep moving. Mm -hmm. So how do I know that what I what guardrails I set today are going to be relevant in six months? And, and so I think when you know that th there is some merit to that, to a degree. I, to a degree, exactly. But I think that it would it would carry a lot more weight if you're going to make that argument if you actually had done the research and you know presented the various counter arguments and actually challenged your guests. And you could caveat it to you defend say, their positions. You know, right now this is what the science is saying, and you're saying the opposite. Okay, I just want to make sure that we everyone understands that this is what you're saying in context to what's currently thought of. Correct. And you, you've solved the issue. You, you've, you've pinned it in that moment in time. So if things change, you, you caveated it then, but you've at least offered that person to directly address the common opinion or the common thought process of, of other Agreed. experts. Right. And, and I think that's a healthier way to yeah. go about this process. So the other thing here is, um, and what I've been reading, um, there's a question about, you know, when Neil and Joni and others pull their music Sure, it may be in, in direct response to, to Joe's shows, but is it possibly secondarily a point to shine a spotlight on Spotify's business model? And is it is it a way to kind of shoehorn this into the conversation when it's kind of just been ignored for years now where the artists get almost no money. Do, are, are we, is it too cynical to say that, that that's what this is really about? Or do we think that they're being sincere when they, when they say I'm pulling it because of Joe and misinformation? What, what do you I think? I don't know, man. I mean, look, what I can tell you is that Spotify essentially represents about 60% of Neil Young's streaming revenue. Mm -hmm. And he stands to lose close to $800,000 annually by billboards calculations. By pulling his music from Spotify, now what? By the way, is that a lot? Eight hundred thousand dollars for an entire year of streaming his music—that seems like pennies. Well, I mean, 
And that's the point, right? It, Joni Mitchell, she earned three hundred and seventy-three thousand from Spotify revenue, according to Billboard estimates. That was twelve percent of her total three point two three million in label revenue for sales and streams. So it's 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 conceivable that you know this is anywhere between five and twelve percent of of Neil's annual label revenue for sales and streams. I don't know. Um, is it is it enough? I mean, it, it you know, it, I don't know how the guy lives his life. I mean, uh, at, 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 you're talking stupid money at that point in time. I mean, I know yeah, if, for, if you for, if for you those, slash my salary yeah. by twelve percent, I mean, I'd feel that. But I, you know, Neil's not waking up at three o'clock in the morning because his two and a half year old screaming his name either. So <laughs> yeah, the uh, I always laugh at the whole like. The, the not to get into a tax discussion, but like, you know, the rich paying their fair share kind of thing. We're already paying a ton of money. Yeah. But a gallon of gas is still the same for me as it is for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's a reason why we have a tax bracket that's kind of tiered anyways. So let's, let's get to the final question then. And that is, should Pearl Jam pull their music from Spotify? You know, they haven't to this point. Um, I do not think this is a necessary thing for them to do. I, th- I don't think that is the most poignant way to get their point across. They did this, they went the Ticketmaster route mm-hmm. and that was a way of boy, you know, they essentially took a vendor and they boycotted that vendor in order to prove a point. And they ended up having a lot of conversations with a lot of politicians about that. Um, I think in this case, there are ways to communicate. They, they have their own platform with millions of, of listeners and they can communicate what it is they think and feel. I think pulling their music ultimately, and I'll, I, I'd say the same thing for Neil, all you're doing is depriving listeners of the opportunity to hear the statements that you want heard. If Pearl Jam believes that they are furthering discourse through their music, if they, if they believe that their music is, is relevant, if they believe their music brings a level of substance to the social discourse that Motley Cruz does not, then why would you pull it from a major streaming service and deny access to so many young people the opportunity to listen to that, that, that voice? So I think it's actually uh, a counterproductive move on Neil Young and Pearl Jam's part to to make a decision like that and that that might be a controversial thing for me for me to say and and um, there might be people that say you know i'm missing the point or or these are the types of if every artist did this then it would force spotify to be more responsible with the things that they let out there fine i i hear the merit in all those arguments um but i'm just trying to look at this in somewhat of a vacuum because to truly unpack this from every angle would be here all night so (laughs) I think in a vacuum, that would be my response to it. So a couple of things. If we really wanted to change how Spotify approaches artist payment to um, who they give platforms to, et cetera, et cetera, all you got to do is convince Adele and T-Swift. And then something's going to happen. So that's that, right? (laughs) I I love Neil, but he and Joni Mitchell are not really going to account for a whole lot. Compared yeah, not, to uh, not these days, not these days. So you know they're making a statement, but it's it's kind of like you know bringing sand to the beach sort of thing. Yeah. Um, here's what I would do if I was the band. 
I would go on Joe's show. I love that idea. I, w- I mean, if it, even if it's just Eddie, I would go on Joe's show. Hell, bring Nikki Six. Go on Joe's show. Oh, even better idea. <laughs> how how incredible would that be? You know, Eddie could come on, the band could come on. You know, um, Uncle Neil. We we love un- Uncle Neil. We've we've known Neil for twenty eight years now, whatever it is. And um, we believe a lot of the same things that he believes, and we respect his decision to do what he did. We're not going to pull our music, but we want to. The stipulation is we ha- we have to have a talk with you. We want to kind of just talk as, as as honest men here and kind of get things out in the open. And uh, let's just talk. And I, and the reason why I say that is because someone else who I respect a lot is John Stewart. And John Stewart mentioned before, and when John Stewart came out in defense of Joe and his right to, to just be out there doing his thing. And of course, with all the stipulations that we came with, we talked about before. Um, but I think there's, there's a degree and people will talk about Eddie and, and Pearl Jam being a very liberal band and, and to many sure. degrees they are. Yeah. But I, I think they would also say that they respect Joe's right to do his thing. Instead of trying to stop him from doing his thing, they would prefer to change his mind. And, and, and that's that's fair. I mean, I'll be honest. I I don't agree with every stance the band has ever had. Yeah. I mean, Me you know, and, and so it's uh, th- there's a lot of ways to look at this, but but I love your idea of of the band Come together, going man. on the show and saying, hey, you know what? No, we're not trying to pull our music off. Um, I, I will say this though, you know, the, the, there's the old expression that there's no such thing as bad press. <laughs> Joe Rogan was in the news quite a bit the last ten days, mm-hmm. right? So I, I, I would I would wager that uh, his brand is doing uh, better than ever after this in, that this entire affair. It's a good time for him to have some uh, some key guests on. This is like Sweeps Week for him. Yeah, you guys not remember Sweeps Weeks? Like the, uh, I mean, I remember Sweeps Weeks. Yeah, I, I'm curious. Sweeps this is Week, a, but Sweeps uh, Week, Sweeps Month. That that was a term. Uh, that I don't know if it's a thing anymore, but for those of you who don't know, there were certain months in the year that, that Nielsen ratings counted for more. And I feel like May was one of them and maybe October or something. I forget what it was, but like certain months in the year, they, the Nielsen ratings would count for a lot. So you'd see all these crazy big guests on talk shows. And anyways, I don't know where I was going with that, but sweeps week. Yeah. What do you guys think? There's there's a lot of meat on this bone still, and um, I think we've come to the point where it's like Joe needs to be more responsible, but he should have, also have a platform. And we think Eddie should be on that platform and find some sort of accord with Nikki Six, and they should all hang out and have a co- couple of cocktails. Look at that, Joe! Together. We we just we just scheduled we and coordinated it for you. your next episode. Get Nikki and Ed on the show. Have a couple of blunts. Get a couple of steaks. Now you know let's, let's just solve the world's world's problems. You know? Why not? Love it. Let's get to our lyric of the week. All right, Paul. Lyric of the week. We're going off album once again. By neural sessions. We're going with fatal. How good is he? How warm are his eyes? You won't see us. Not a Tethered all 
talk to me about Fatal. I, I've always thought lyrically this was a, a really interesting song. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget we went to those those shows at the um, how was that venue they tore it down here in LA? That LA Sports Arena. The LA Sports Arena. Thank you. Uh, and I, I remember there was somebody behind the uh, stage that was holding up the, mm. the song, the, the the sign that said "Play Fatal" on it. You know, it, it, it's one of those songs that uh, it's kind of reached that that pantheon that you see songs like "Hard to Imagine" and "Breath On" in the sense yeah. that there, it's it's these these songs that people want to hear. I'd love to hear this song played live. I think it's a uh, it's a fascinating. It's got that uh, uh, you know dead man feel to it. Mm-hmm. which I know was recorded for, for a, a soundtrack, but I, I like the introspective approach that Eddie delivers with these lyrics. Um, how good is he? How warm are his eyes? You'll see it's not a reprise. Did he arrive too late and too tethered? with a great line. Too tethered away to put on his suit and his tie. How good is he? How warm is his heart? These I, it, it's it's this existential crisis of identity here, and not just in the self, but the ability to to question whether or not someone else knows himself or herself, and to realize that there is a fatalistic element to. In a lot of ways, this is a sister song, sleight of hand. I think hmm. um, that, that there, there's a connection here with the idea of just going through the motions of life and conning yourself into believing that you're actually living your best life and you're working towards something and you're trying to be something only to realize that you, you literally never lived at all. And I, I think that, that there's an element, that fatalistic element of losing yourself in that process. And so that to me was one of the big takeaways of just kind of, you know, I'm going to use this, this expression again, looking at these lyrics in a vacuum. Hmm. I took this well this set specifically but even the song as a whole in a in a relationship kind of way yeah because i think so many so many songs in general are always come down to relationships not always um romantic but i think this one does sometimes you can't make people see what you see not to <laughs> spin things back to the last 45 minutes what we're talking about but I always took this song as a warning. Someone mm-hmm. is trying to convince their lover that the person they've cheated on them with isn't who they really think they are or that that person is the right choice. And trying desperately to illustrate how fickle that person is. The, the, the whole, you'll see it's not a reprise line, for example. And what's really sad is how hard this subject is trying to fix their broken relationship. What's interesting is that this this is a Stone song, and yet it's written right around the time that Ed and Beth broke up. Yeah. And if we remember correctly, Ed was really torn up about this. Coincidence? Serendipity? I don't know. Um, I don't know if we know the, the context of how that relationship fizzled away. Yeah. There, there is something, though, in Ed's voice that makes you feel like he's never connected to a set of stone lyrics quite like these before. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the line, how good is he, repeats, signifies to me that 
this other person really isn't good at all. And how on earth could the subject's lover not see it? Yeah. At the very end of the song are the lines, if he's truly out of sight, is he truly out of mind? Suggesting that the subject's lover finally did choose to remain with the subject, but he knows that she still thinks about him and that this choice is probably only temporary. Mm -hmm. This will hang over them forever until they truly split. Hence why the answers to all the subject questions are fatal. It's a fantastic song and a great illustration of Stone Gotch's writing process. And I think it's one of those that had we been talking about um, this era would be on my list of play it more. In fact, it might've been, I don't remember back to the episode when we did this era um, for songs that are rarely played, but should be, but it's, uh, you mentioned it. It's one of those songs that has found itself within the, the breath, no way, um, you know, play it more kind of up on the hilltop songs that people really want to hear. And uh, I, I, I just think it's fantastic. It is fantastic. Yeah. It, you know, what's funny about the song is um, I had seen this on the, the community boards on PearlJam.com. They, they were talking about how great the Benaro Hall performance was. And uh, somebody had mentioned here that Stone wrote most of the lyrics and that the original lyrics were the answers in Plato. Mm -hmm. referring to the philosopher and Ed suggested the answers are fatal. I don't know how true that is, but uh, uh, for good measure, I'm going to share a couple of uh, Plato quotes that I think are, are quite relevant Ooh, to, to our discussion. Yeah. So uh, quote number one, um, every heart sings a song incomplete until another heart whispers back. Those who wish to sing always find a song at the touch of a lover. Everyone becomes a poet. So I thought based on what, what your interpretation of these lyrics, I thought that was a, a salient quote to share. And uh, for, for our, our, our friend, Joe Rogan, uh, <laughs> so, some Plato here. You ready? Uh -huh. Okay. For our friend, Joe Rogan, ignorance, the root and stem of all evil. That's one. And uh, the other one that I, I think would be worth sharing in this conversation would be this one. The measure of a man is what he does with his power. So that's things, things, to, things to ponder here. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, I mean, this is one of those songs we, 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 we did, we started our retracking series with binaural and it was because of songs like this. Yeah. That are just so it's a simple, simple song. And yet it's, when you can be so concise and be so eloquent and thought provoking, kudos stone. Kudos indeed. Let's go to our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up. Okay. So Paul, Fatal has been played eight times. So right now. Where, where we well, like I have to say range, that, that, that that lovely Ben Oil Hall version is exquisite. But uh, for me, it, it's not what I think is the best available live cut. Now, th this track, it's considered a binaural cut, and therefore one would argue, oh, should, you should pull it off the binaural tool, uh, tour based on your, your parameters. True. However, uh, we didn't actually 
discover this song until 2003 when it appeared on Lost Dogs. So uh, th there's a lot of versions here. I think pretty much all of them are fair game given that. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, September 9th, 2006, Marseille, France. I think this is uh, an absolutely exquisite version. Poetry has played on the song. <laughs> Place the bar that he arrived to tear it away to put it, put on a suit and his There's something about the um, the you know, the non-U.S. audience yeah. that they tend to get fewer shows than than we do, so they're ten they tend to be 
even more up for kind of anything. But when they get, and by the way, I'll venture to guess that the um, the clip that Pearl Jam tweeted out about we love our board fans <laughs> reacting to Given the Fly, I'll bet you it was not in the U.S. Um, when they hear a a diamond in the rough, a a a gem that is rarely played, a French crowd listening to a song about infidelity. Oh, <laughs> <bada -bum -tsh. laughs> Oh, they you should be on Joe Rogan. You're on, oh, boy. <laughs> you, you, you find yourself um, getting a great performance. I will say, uh, I find it interesting you chose this only for this one thing. He fucks up the first verse. He sings the, 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 par the, the park line in the first verse when it's only in the second verse. And, but notice that people adore the version of Black from Unplugged where he also... Confuses the timing of the verses as well. There's something about Ed when, and uh, when he moves verses in places they're not supposed to be. For some reason, he—it's almost like a challenge he sets for <laughs> himself. Like, okay, that's it. It's time to bring it now, and he does. I was, I, I was really impressed with this cut, and I was okay with that. Sometimes there, there's a beauty in the flaw, and I think the song very much capitalizes and highlights flaw in human nature. Well, you you chose on, I should say. Yeah, you chose uh, the whipping version from Soldier Field when you couldn't understand a goddamn what he was saying. And there's <laughs> reasons why you would choose that. So I understand. I understand. Uh, this may be the first time we've chosen a song, a live cut from France. I think it might be. How about that? I know. How well, cool is that? Huh? I'm, I'm into it. Okay, cool. What do you guys think? Do you, you guys have a favorite epi episode? Do you guys have a favorite version of of Fatal? There's only eight, like I said. You could, again, what was it? What was the song a few weeks ago where we had, or maybe it was last week, where we had a song that was like only played five times? So oh, you listen gosh. to all of them back yeah. to back to back and, and pick your favorite right there. I don't remember what it was. I think it was what also something off lost, uh, lost Dogs, wasn't it? It wasn't Long was it, Road. Brother? Is it Brother? Is that what it was? Hold on. I have been hold on. Hold on. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Anywho, anywho. Uh, yeah. Love the song. Love this cut. And um, before we go, I have one thing I want to say. Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Yes. And oh, by the way, <laughs> if you're on if you're on Spotify, they now released a new way that you can actually rank and um, star one through five. We're, not, stars. we're boycotting Spotify. Jason. We're still on Spotify. We're not. <laughs> we're pulling. <laughs> we don't have the pull to get off of Spotify. Um, go ahead and rate us five stars on Spotify. We love Spotify. Daniel like is the best. Um, yeah, that that was the thing. But also, also this. Are you a uh, are you a fan of posters and collecting posters? Sure. Are you possibly I get one from every show I go? To. Me too. Are you possibly um, in the Connecticut area and went to the 2008 show in Hartford, Connecticut? Do you not have that poster? Well, guess what. I have a poster that I'm ready to send to you. Not for free. Oh, boy. But quick little story. I have. Is, is this where you tell the listeners that uh, you had an internal existential debate about whether or not you should give that poster away or buy batteries instead? No. Wow. Although I'm hoping you got your batteries. I did, actually. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You chose the batteries. I like it. I chose the um, No. So here's the thing. I've been to 20 four shows i don't know it's something like that and i have pretty much all the sh all the posters but i think three and they're all from the early part of my of my touring life 
one of which is my first show ever. My first show ever, as I said in the show before, is 1998 Hartford, Connecticut. Um, my wife decided to try and be super clever and heartfelt this past Christmas. And she um, she went and tried to buy that poster. And she had it framed and wrapped. And she was so giddy and excited and ready to show me. And so she she I unwrapped it. And I had a very blank stare on my face as I realized that it was 2008 Hartford. And she was like, what's wrong? And I go, why did you give me 2008 Hartford Protein poster? I mean, it's cool and all, but I didn't go to the show. She's like, oh, no. When was the first show you went to? And I go, 1998? She goes, ah, oh, no. And she was so mad at herself that she messed up the date. So, oh. <laughs> but the, the, the thought was there. Oh, it was. And I told her, I go, listen, the 98 Hartford show is hard to come by. So God bless you if you could find it. So she's she's actually like looking for the 98 Hartford show. So if you have one and you're willing to part with it, she will buy it from you. Get us in the DMs and she I will put you in touch with my wife so she can buy it from you. But <laughs> if you want to buy the 2008 Hartford show, which I believe did that not feature. Was it 2013 or 2008 that featured eruption? And I'm talking about love. Oh, God. I can't I remember. Anyways, I want to say it was I want to say it was so eight, I think. I don't recall. Anyway. But uh, either way, XL Center, Hartford, Connecticut, 2008. If you were there or you just want this poster, let us know and we'll give it to you for a great price. Love so, it. There's that fun story. All right. We're here to give back to the people. We are for a fair price. So uh, go ahead and give us a rate or review and subscribe, as Paul mentioned. Or and, send uh, Paul batteries. I, either works for us, really. <laughs> <laughs> We, we will be reviewing the new uh, Eddie Vedder album, Earthling, very soon. However, next week, we will do our very first roundtable episode with fans from Australia. We figured out the time difference, and we're going to do oh, it. God. I cannot wait to be hung out to dry for saying Melbourne the first time. But literally, oh. I was corrected on this. I, I can't wait. That's literally going to be the entire discussion. Yeah. Your act together, Paul. That that yeah. is the theme of next week's episode. Yes. So and, and until we, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> until we uh, have uh, six Australians tell Paul that he doesn't know how to say their city names. You have been <laughs> listening to the state of love and trust. Yeah.